0: New York City, home to some absolutely fantastic architecture. Although, even here, some buildings are cuboids. I mean, look at that one. How embarrassing, a cuboid. It's just a cube, but it's not even a nice, neat cube. It's stretched out. It's a rectangular prism. How embarrassing. Whereas, over there, you can just see it behind those cuboids is the One World Trade Center anti-prism, and that is a much more exciting shape. So a regular prism is when you've got two parallel polygons and you join up the matching sides with rectangles. In the case of a cuboid, it's a rectangular prism. It's the worst of the worst. Whereas an antiprism, you take those two parallel polygons, you give them a twist so they're perfectly offset, and instead of using rectangles, you use triangles, twice as many triangles. There are some amazing antiprism shapes out there and in this case we have a square antiprism. It's such a good shape. I'm actually in New York because tonight I'm doing my Evening of a Necessary Detail show which is why I'm joined by my mass friend Laura Talman, who is uh, a mass professor yes. at James Madison University, yes, sir, yes. and you're doing part of the show tonight. Yeah, I'm going to talk about computational knitting. So good. I'm so excited, but that's not why we're here. Uh, Laura's also very well known for her 3D printing. So if several of my videos have featured things you've printed, mm-hmm. uh, including the scootoid video. Scootoids. Um, but that's that's somewhere between a prism and a... It's
1: kind of like half. Half and half. Yeah, and
0: yeah. uh, we're not going into that. So because we're doing the show this evening, we thought it'd be fun to do a day trip today mm-hmm. and go and have a look at the world's biggest anti-prism. We've traveled to the other side of Manhattan because here it's possible to get a much closer look at the building. This has forked my question for the video because I wanted to ask the question, is anti-prisming a building, is that, like, does that increase the volume or decrease the volume? But now we've got a second issue because you can see on the model, the top is smaller than the bottom. So now we've got two questions. Uh, later on, we're gonna answer what is the actual volume of the antiprism as built. My question now, however, is if we ignore this tapering effect, so if we imagine the top is the same size as the bottom, it's a true anti does that increase or decrease the volume compared to the original prism? I mean, I feel like that's an obvious question. What has more volume, the prism or the anti-prism?
1: Well, the question is obvious. I don't the question know is the obvious. answer is obvious. I, uh, what do you think the answer is? I
0: don't. Well, you made the point earlier that if they were the same, we would know that. We would know. We would know.
1: You could Google it. Yeah. And we would know. It
0: would be a fun fun fact. Did you know? Right. A prism and an antiprism have the same volume.
1: No one has written that on the internet no. that I can see, so it's false. So, proof
0: so it's proof by false. not on the internet.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so it's bigger or it's smaller. Yes. When you twist it yes. and connect with triangles instead of not twist it and connect with rectangles. Rectangles.
0: I feel like it's going to be bigger.
1: I disagree.
0: <laughs> good, good. For narrative purposes.
1: Yeah. And that's
0: really useful. That's so what's your logic for, 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 for less?
1: My logic for less is that if you took the cuboid and you twisted it like a lot, like more, ah, right. that it would get you all, keep. I imagine it would get all small in the middle.
0: Because my thinking was in the exact middle, ignoring the tapering, mm-hmm. it's going to be a regular or mm-hmm. well, it's going to be a regular N-gon that's twice mm-hmm. the end of the top and bottom. And just by proof by thinking about it for a minute, mm-hmm. I feel like the, the octagon in the middle will have a bigger surface area, the cross-sectional mm-hmm. area, than the square at the base.
1: It's not a bad theory, because like, honestly, if you take oh, yeah, this you take that off, off. Yeah. that this isn't quite the octagon slice, but it's close, it's close. and even with the frustum bit, it's, this is pretty big, pretty big compared to this. Like if it hadn't been decreasing at the top, would that be bigger? This would actually be quite large.
0: But if that octagon is a smaller area, then I think the total then volume is smaller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so all we have to do is calculate the area of that octagon, which mm-hmm. we genuinely have not done in advance. Mm. Um, we met up this morning and we're like, I wonder what the area is?
1: Mm. And now we're
0: going to work it out. Yes. The paper was out and we quickly got to work trying to calculate how big that octagon is and everyone got involved. Producer Nicole was doing some working out, our camera assistant Truman. Turns out we only hire people with a maths background. But after a while, and a lot of trying to visualize triangles in 3D, we had a bit of a breakthrough. My argument was, if you've got... Because you look at the whole silhouette. Yeah, if you look at it from the side, there's your base of one of the triangles. It goes all the way up to the peak at the top and back down again. It d- shouldn't make a difference how tall or short the antiprism is. Right. The octagon's always going to be halfway up, and that similar triangles is going to be half the base. Exactly.
1: Oh, oh yeah. nice.
0: So that's just going to be... Well, if, it, if it's a square of size one, that's half. And so oh, we, th- goodness. we just need to work out the area of an octagon with sides half, half a square, a square. which uh-huh. has got a bigger volume.
1: Mm.
0: And there is an equation for the area of an octagon I'm about to look up on the internet. I did indeed just look up the equation and I put in the length side to calculate the area of the octagon relative to the base square. But other people got real obsessed with trying to derive the equation for the area of an octagon from first principles. Feel free to have a go yourself, but we're gonna move on. Laura had something she wanted to say.
1: Ha! Matt was right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm as surprised as anyone.
1: I'm not that surprised. I'm
0: not, I'm not used to this.
1: <laughs> he was right. Seems to get bigger in the middle, in the non frustrating case.
0: And then we worked out the area, and the area is 20.71%
1: bigger. Kind of a lot bigger, actually. One plus
0: root 212.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 20%. Yeah.
0: To recap, we were trying to answer the question, if you take this antiprism and you compare its volume to just a regular prism, so this has exactly the same surface area in the bottom, that's the same size as that, and it's exactly the same height there, and it's got the same area on the top, so that is the same square as that, it's just... Rotated around by 45 degrees, which is why we get the triangles, and that's what makes it an antiprism. So we were looking at what happens if you look at the cross-sectional area right in the very middle here, which is a bit hard to see on the antiprism. I mean, it's the same on the prism. It's consistent the whole way up. But What I can do is I can duplicate this one. So if we get a second uh, antiprism, and then what I'm going to do is just make the top bit here uh, trans. I think that's it. Okay, there we go. You can now see that's the exact cross section there. And it's a perfect octagon. So what we showed is that the area of this octagon is 20.7% bigger than the area of the square, which means, unlike the regular prism, where it's the same cross-sectional area the whole way up, over here on the antiprism, it starts with this area, gets gradually bigger and bigger and bigger until the exact middle, when it's the octagon, and then it gradually gets smaller and smaller and smaller back up there. So that means that the total volume of this antiprism must be more than this prism. There you are. Yeah. Okay. The volume's more. But now we want to have a closer look at it. I think we need to go and measure the base. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to see if we can work out the volume of a anti prism frustum.
1: And figure out exactly how that frustum thing works. Yeah. Yeah. We're
0: going to do it. Use the word frustum a few times, that just means a prism where it gets more narrow at the top. Because if it doesn't, you can see these side triangles, they lean out. That's because the very, very top, like the corners now stick out from above the base. And you may not want that when you're making a building. So the One World Trade Center is designed so the top exactly fits inside the base. So it's been reduced in size. And that means that the sides of these are perfectly vertical. This is an anti-prism. This is an anti-frustum. So we walked across to the base of the One World Trade Centre and set about measuring it. I counted my steps. I know how big my shoes are and I just counted how many steps all the way across. Whereas Laura used a knitting stitch counter to count the number of panels in the ground from one side to the other and then we just had to measure one panel and multiply it up. We then dropped by our friends at Jane Street who have an office nearby so we could sit on their balcony and do some working out. Right, we need to work out how long the side was.
1: How long the yes. side what is. What did you get? Uh well oh, nice. I it's... got that it was eighty-two panels long. And uh we measured that those panels were thirty inches. inches. Yep. So that's two thousand four hundred and sixty inches or two hundred and five two hundred and
0: five feet. feet. That's my
1: panel es- estimation.
0: Right. I had two point six inches per foot times hundred and ninety oops twelve point six inches per foot times hundred and ninety six feet is, well, it looks similar. Two, four,
1: six, nine. Divide
0: that by twelve. Two hundred and five point
1: eight feet. Oh, it says like the prices right where... Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> point
0: eight of a foot. All right. Higher. Nicole looked it up, what is it? What is 200 it? Two
1: hundred. All
0: right. Round number, well done. There you go. So our question now is what is the volume of our frustum
1: Right, not uh, including, not including the, there's the, a straight bit.
0: The cube is trivial. We're going to we ignore that. We want to know the volume of this now. No, no. You've put just something else to this, aren't we?
1: I did. We did would you like to yeah, see yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. So, um, I'll even move this I think to the this side. is a really oh, difficult yeah. shape, right? Yeah. I had a hard time uh, visualizing what was missing, and so I thought maybe I could visualize oh. it better if I had it in had four it in pieces. Because, you know, if I could just Compute the volume of one of these pieces, then you know you, you multiply, multiply it it up. by four. Yep, so, yeah. so, so okay. So now the problem is compute the volume of that.
0: Yes, yeah, so it's it's a cuboid mm-hmm. with that missing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And how much of that is that? Is that a quarter? What's that? Well, that? that's
1: what I wonder too. And yeah. so. Uh, in this program, Tinkercad, you can move these 3D pieces around. Okay. So I thought, you know, maybe there's (laughs) some other way to move them around so that it would be obvious what you're missing. And it turns out if you assemble them kind of inside out, like this.
0: So now it's the same square top and bottom.
1: Yeah, now it's the same. But there's a void. And this pyramid fits right inside. So what's missing is if you take one out, you can see it just like that. See? (laughs) <laughs> what's missing is this pyramid. Exactly. See. So the volume of the frustum, frustum antiprism. The antiprism is the volume of this minus the volume of this. These are both really easy shapes to find the volume of. Yeah. Um, so I think we're golden.
0: So the volume is just the cuboid.
1: Minus trivial. That.
0: Minus this, and what's mm-hmm. that? That's a third, a third of the cuboid.
1: Yeah, I think that's true
0: and the area is probably half. Well, wait,
1: it's, it's, it's a third of the... Just the ha- from half the, top. the area, yeah. yeah. So it's a, th- a third of the little cuboid. Do you want to draw a picture yeah. so yeah, people yeah, can yeah. see what okay. you're... Yeah. I know what you're talking this about. This is what I'm trying to say, yeah.
0: is the big square is the base, the small square is the top, and it fits so each of those corners is directly above the middle of that edge. So these surfaces mm-hmm. are straight up and down, which is lovely. And if you imagine this, if you split that up into the quarters, each of this is equals that. And so that smaller square, that whole internal square there, is half of this one. And so the volume of the whole original cuboid is the bottom area times the height. Mm -hmm. And the volume of the missing pyramid, because the volume of a pyramid is a third times the base times the height. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be plus a third times the area of the base, which is A on two, times the height. So, what's that gonna be? Future Matt here, past Matt had done too much walking and wrote plus instead of subtract. So the total is 5 sixths of the base area multiplied by the height. That's 5 sixths of the volume of the big cuboid. Now we just need to plug in some numbers. Okay, so 1183 is the height Height. times 200. (laughs) times two hundred times five, divide, six, equals. Correction. Mm. 39,433 39, feet cubed.
1: Doesn't this say 39, 433 thousand 333? Whoops. More. What's three orders of magnitude?
0: You're right. That wouldn't be a lot. That wouldn't be a very big...
1: It's smaller than it looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow.
0: It's closer (laughs) than I thought. Uh,
1: Okay, so 39 million.
0: Yeah. There you are. 39 million Mm -hmm. cubic feet. I'd like to thank this video sponsor, Jane Street, whose summer internship program is currently accepting applications. So if you're studying at university and you're considering a job in the financial world or doing something with programming, then this is a paid internship where you can work somewhere where your mind truly matters. If you've enjoyed solving ridiculous puzzles like the volume of an anti-prism frustum, you will blend right in at Jane Street. I always enjoy visiting Jane Street and I often give a talk when the interns are in, so you may see me. No promises, but you can apply at jainestreet.com internships and you can choose any of the offices. They're in Hong Kong, they're in London, and they're in New York. And you know where the New York office is? It's downtown Manhattan. I genuinely realised we were going to be like a block that way at the One World Trade Centre Tower, and we could just come here and I can ask them very nicely if we can come up to their balcony and do our filming. So a huge thanks, as always, to J Street and thanks to Laura Talman. So it was very kind of her to come along, print all those things. At uh, James Madison University, her JMU Experimental Mathematics Lab has the 3D printers, which meant that we could print those fantastic models. And without those, to be honest, I don't think we would have got to the bottom of the volume of an antifrostrum. So huge thanks to the JEM Math Lab for making that possible. And uh, finally, thanks to me. I mean, thanks to Evening of Unnecessary Detail, that's the show, that's why I'm in New York. By the time this video comes out, we should have some new dates for Evening of Unnecessary Detail in the US. And we've always got shows coming up in the UK. I will link to all the details below. And thanks for watching.